Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm really excited to be with you this morning. I'm as excited as a mosquito in a nudist colony. Uh, this is my first time to preach at NDC. So uh, I'm Joey. I'm one of the new pastors here. Uh, for those of you who have been around, you probably know that I have five children. And uh, when they were younger, my, all of my children wanted to be stand-up comedians when they grew up. And their jokes were terrible. There was no hope for any of them being stand-up comedians. And they would give us these bad dad jokes all the time. I wasn't very patient with them, but my wife is much more patient. And so she decided in her wisdom to uh, just have a time where we would let them air all of their terrible bad jokes. And so we kind of had the Dotson ha uh, comedy hour where we'd go into our kitchen and we'd like, okay, let us have it. And they were bad. They're also homeschool kids. And so their jokes were related to school subjects. So for example, well, I, well before that, um, one of our kids who's not so much homeschool kid, his first joke was, hey, did you hear the one about Jesus going into the bar? He said, I'll just have water. <laughs> so our other kids, my wife's like, okay, no more beer jokes because we're Baptist. Um, and so then our homeschool kids began to jump in. And so my oldest uh, son's like, I like science and math. So let's do math joke. Um, and we're like, uh, nobody likes math jokes. Like, oh, here, what about a science joke? Did you hear the one about, do you, do you know why you can't trust atoms? They make everything up. And I'm like, okay, no more science and math jokes. Kunle would like it, but the rest of us don't. And so we're like, okay, and my daughter was an English major. She loved English. And she was like, yeah, let's do some Peter Pan jokes. They never get old. I told you, it's bad, right? Uh, one of, we're like, okay, no more English jokes either. And so one of the sons was like, what about a geography joke? What's the advantage of living in Switzerland? Well, the flag's a big plus. <laughs> the kid who started the bar joke moved away from subjects again. It was like, well, did I tell you about my poop today? It wasn't my second poop. It wasn't my first poop, but it was a solid number two. <laughs> At this point, my wife's like, okay, that's it. It's over. No more. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Cece, my youngest, walks in. And Cece is on the autism spectrum. And so doesn't get jokes, doesn't do jokes, but all of a sudden Cece walks in and says to my daughter Maddie, Maddie, do you know what's better than pizza? And we're all shocked and stunned. Does Cece have a joke? And so we're looking in suspense and he says, Maddie, do you know what's better than pizza? And my daughter says, no. And Cece says, yeah, me neither. <laughs> and he walks out the room. It was the best joke of all time. And so also this morning I ask you, do you know what's better than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, me neither. To know that he that knew no sin became sin so that we could be forgiven and be the righteousness of God. To know that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel of Jesus Christ said nothing, 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 neither height nor death nor principalities nor angels nor demons, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. But what often happens when it comes to the gospel is that it's almost like a one-topping pizza in many of our churches. For many of us, when we think of the gospel, we think primarily of forgiveness, or the, the great theological word justification, um, that Christ came to forgive us of our sins. And it's so true. Um, it is a major topping of the gospel pizza, but it's not the main topping that we see in Scripture. Forgiveness is an aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's not the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For others of you, it may not be the forgiveness pizza, but it's the everlasting life pizza. It's almost like Sandlot, that one day when we die, we're going to live with God forever. Um, and, and it's true. Yeah, there is that offer of everlasting life. And it's a great pizza topping. 
But still, it's not the primary topping that we see in Scripture um, in the New Testament and among the early church. Instead, we see that topping explicitly underscored and drawn out in Paul's letter to the Galatians. The Apostle Paul was uh, one who wrote 13 of the letters in the New Testament, and his very first letter was the letter to the Galatians. And Galatians was not only Paul's first letter, but it was the first New Testament document that was written. And when Paul comes to put pen to paper, this is what he says about the the gospel in Galatians 1.3. He says that Jesus Christ came to give himself for our sins. Not for forgiveness, not for everlasting life, but he came, he gave himself for our sins so that we could be set free from this present evil age. The very first statement, the main topping of the gospel that we have is freedom. And it's not just at the beginning of it. We see that Paul later on is going to come and say that it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Later on, he's going to say, hey, guess what? You were called into freedom. Therefore, don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your lust. Later on in the letter, he says, hey, guess what? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we see that one of the main aspects that makes us say, yeah, there's nothing better than the gospel. Yeah, me neither. Me neither is the aspect that we now have freedom in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul kind of builds up to that as we get to Galatians chapter 5, where it's the culmination, the crescendo of his letter. And so I want to look today at Galatians 5, 16, and 17. Let me give two quick pre-qualifications. One, if you've been around me long enough, you know that I have ADD, attention deficit uh, squirrel. I I get distracted with things that are shiny. So there may be like random things that come out of my mouth. I don't preach with notes. And so uh, for better, probably for worse, um, there there may be some ADD moments in the sermon that's going to happen uh, next. Uh, Secondly, I'm a Greek professor. Um, It's Greek to me. The New Testament was written in Greek. And so I like to preach going through the text kind of bit by bit and verse by verse. And so those are two pre-qualifications that we get ready to jump into Galatians 5.16. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to give you my translation from uh, the original text, but you'll be able to follow on the screen as well. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, as Paul again is unpacking, expanding, tracing out the truth of the gospel in his very first letter. But I say to you, continue to walk by the power of the Spirit, and you will not ever, 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 ever fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires against the spirit, and the spirit desires against the flesh. These two are hostile. They are opposed to one another in order that you do not do whatever you want to do. Let's go ahead and do verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are no longer under the law. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul comes and he says, hey, as I'm going to bring the, where the rubber hits the road for the church, I want to talk about walking by the Spirit. As I want to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to look at the ramifications of what it means for us to have the Spirit of God in our life. And so he begins by telling us that the Spirit comes uh, so that we can have freedom as we walk through Galatians. It's going to be uh, both hands. On the one hand, it's given us freedom from legalism, which some of us kind of struggle with that legalism, that self-righteousness. And as we get here, he's going to focus more on freedom and liberty from our lust, from our selfish desires. And so he comes and says, so I say, walk by the power of the Spirit. Now, in the original language, um, the, the verb is what drives a sentence. And so Paul begins with this verb, walk. 
Some of your English translations are going to say live by the Spirit. And live is a, is a good translation, but more literally, it's going to have this idea of walking by the Spirit. And I really like that metaphor more um, because walking is like the slowest mode of transportation. It's exhausting. And for many of us, when it comes to being set free from our legalism, our setting free from our anger, our selfish desires, our, our obsessions, our abuses, our substance abuses and those things, we don't, we don't want to walk into freedom. We want to zoom to freedom, right? We, we want um, to, to, to jump from this world to that world. But Paul comes and gives us this realistic picture. It's not about zooming. It's not about flying over. It's not about bolting. Instead, it's about walking walking by the power of the Spirit. Now, in this verb, it has this idea of a continuous aspect. It's not take a step in the Spirit. It's keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. It has this continuous aspect that Paul's not saying just take us a step away from our selfish desires and our sinful uh, lust, but instead, we have to keep walking from it. Now, for many of us, at least for me, I, I I, I want to measure my holiness, my freedom from sin by moments or minutes. But what we really see in reality is that it's best measured not in moments and minutes, but in days and decades, where every step that we take, as hard, as frustrating, as exhausting as it gets, it moves us away from those things that used to hold us and bind us and destroy us. Paul comes and he says, walk, and it has this continuous aspect, but not only a continuous aspect, but it has this idea of zooming in for the importance. Um, and so it, it's not like he's just kind of using a vanilla, plain, Taylor Swift um, uh, lot, uh, type of verb, but instead it's like a, a zooming, it's, it's almost like this, like, uh, do you ever get a, a text from your parents uh, that are in all caps? It's like they're screaming at you. And, it, it, for, and they're not doing for emphasis. They just accidentally hit all caps. Um, so by you, Paul using this verb tense, it's in all caps. He's underlying it. This is important. You have to walk by the power of the Spirit. And notice that he uses this idea of it, the onus comes upon us. It's not something that just happens to us. Again, for many of us, we want uh, God just kind of zoom us away from that anger that we used to struggle with or zoom us away from the addictions or the obsessions that we've had. But what happens is that it's walking and it also means that we have to do something. We have volition. We have intention to do this. And so it's not almost like the, uh, what is the 1980s, the Calgon, take me away. Uh, Paul comes and says, hey, we have to choose to walk by the power of the Spirit. You're familiar with this passage later on. Paul is going to begin to unpack what it looks like to walk by the power of the Spirit. He uses the metaphor of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. What walking by the Spirit looks like is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. But those things don't just happen. They don't just like fall on us. We don't just fall into them. But instead, love comes by us choosing to walk by the Spirit. Joy comes by us, by us continuing to walk by the Spirit. Peace and patience and all these things are a choice. So it's this continuous aspect. We have to keep on taking that step again and again and again. And it's a choice that we do. And then the last part of this verb is that it's a command. I'm also called an imperative. Paul doesn't come and give a suggestion. Like, Sean, I suggest that you start walking by the Spirit. It's not a recommendation. Jamie, I recommend you... Walk by the, the fruit of the Spirit, by, by the power of the Spirit. It's not like a cheerleader. You're like, go, Peter, you can walk by the power of the Spirit. But instead, it is a command. 
My kids picked up a nasty habit. Around the same time they were trying to be stand-up comedians, when we would tell them to do something, they would look at us and say, what are my options? So we'd say, go clean your room, and they would say, what are my options? It's like, your options are go clean up your room or cease to exist, right? That there are no options. You have to do this. And, and so by Paul using this tense, he's telling us, this is not just a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not cheering us on. This is what we must do. This is what we were called to do. This is what we were saved to do. This is why Christ came. The beauty of the gospel is that now we can walk by the Spirit, which is the next part of it. Paul comes and says, it's not just walking, but it's walking by the Spirit. Now, in the original Greek, two things to, to take into account. One is that um, Paul puts by the Spirit before the verb. This is to emphasize the importance of the Spirit in the text. So if we were translating this, it would be walk by the Spirit. Um, that's what he's going to scream at. And it's interesting for Paul. I would say that he's arguably the most charismatic New Testament writer just behind Luke, um, the guy who wrote Luke and Acts. And Paul emphasizes the Holy Spirit. And it may be telling uh, for us and our pizza and our gospel how we as many of, most of us as American Christians, we're all about Christmas, right? Oh, little town of we, we love our Christmas. For, for many of us, we really, really love Easter. But we don't even think about Pentecost Sunday. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Some are like, no, no, it's Memorial Day Sunday. Well, according to the church calendar, it's, it's Pentecost Sunday. And guess what? Pentecost in Scripture is just as important as Christmas. Pentecost in Christmas is, I mean, Pentecost in Scripture is just as important as Easter. It is the culmination. It is the climax of the gospel. Jesus Christ didn't just come as a baby born of a virgin uh, to, 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 to die for us. He didn't just come to be raised from the dead. He came so that he could give us his spirit. This is even what he says to his disciples, right? It's good for me to leave because only when I leave can I send you my spirit. And his disciples are like, what are you talking about, Willis? What? I mean, and, but Jesus understood that, we, that, that the, the fulfillment of the gospel is not him with us here, but him with us by the power of the Spirit that is within us. And so Paul, by putting the Spirit at the beginning, is emphasizing what many of us often neglect. Growing up Baptist, um, our Holy Trinity was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We were afraid if we got too charismatic, it would, be, it would break out into uh, ain't no potty like a Holy Ghost potty because a Holy Ghost potty don't stop or something along these lines. Or, or, and, but what we see for Paul in the New Testament in the early church is that it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, these are three, but for, for many of us, we don't emphasize the Holy Spirit. And the result of that is that we don't walk in the freedom that Christ came. We make our salvation about the past when we ask Jesus into our heart or when we got baptized. Beautiful stuff. Or we make it about the future when we die, when we live forever with God. But for Paul, and the emphasis of the Holy Spirit is that salvation doesn't begin when we die. Everlasting life doesn't begin when we kick the bucket. Everlasting life begins when the Spirit of God comes inside of you. That's that freedom and that life. Paul comes and he says, walk by the Spirit. This word by the Spirit could be translated in three different ways, uh, three main ways. One, it could be walk uh, in the Spirit. And so some of your English versions may have walk in the Spirit, which is a great translation as well. If this is the case, if it should be walk in the Spirit, the idea is that we once lived in this old neighborhood that was dominated by flesh, 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 sin, 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 death, 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 misery, and bondage. That, but when we died with Christ, when the Spirit of God came into our life, we moved from that old neighborhood into a new sphere, a new reality, 
That's who we used to be. That was the, the, the playground where we spent most of our days. Um, but there were people that were up to no good. But we don't live there anymore. But God has moved us on up to this new sphere that is not marked by sin, 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 death, 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 flesh, flesh, but by life, 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 spirit, 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 freedom, 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 love, 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 peace, peace, peace. And if this is the case, Paul's saying, hey, don't hang out in this old haunt anymore. Instead, walk in the sphere in which Christ called you that is marked by gentleness, kindness, mercy, and peace, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And so it could be this idea. Again, for many of us, we just kind of think that Christ came to forgive us of our sins that we live here. But the truth of walking in the Spirit is that now we have been transported to a whole new world. It could also be translated as walk with the Spirit. This actually lines up with the, the, the extended metaphor that he continues to go on in Galatians to use. He's going to say that, um, that we don't just walk with the Spirit, but we are led by the Spirit. And we don't, we're not only just walking with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, but we keep step with the Spirit. We're in cadence with the Spirit. We're in harmony. We're walking in harmony with the Spirit. And if this is the case, then Paul is telling us, hey, you don't walk alone. And these struggles that you have, and these battles that you're going through, and this war that you're raging against these sinful desires that continue to come after you, you're not by yourself. God has given you the same spirit in which he created the beautiful world, beautiful Colorado. God has given you the same spirit that he used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And that spirit is with you. It's like Roy Kent. It's here, it's there, it's every, everywhere. You're not by yourself. You're walking with the spirit. The way that I translate it, I think, is probably the, be the, the better translation, obviously, is that we should do walk in the Spirit, of course, and we do walk with the Spirit, but we also walk by the power of the Spirit. Not in our own strength, not in our own effort, not in our own religious activities, but instead we walk by the power of the Spirit. As the prophet was says, it's not by might, not by strength, but by your Spirit, declares the Lord. When we lived in Arkansas, my oldest son became a teenager, and I was so excited because it was now time for me to pass the baton of mowing the yard in the hot, humid, deep south, dirty, dirty south heat. Now my teenage boy could do this. And so the first time I told him to do it, he went out to start the lawnmower. And about 10 minutes later, I didn't hear the lawnmower going. Like, what's going on? He should be mowing by now. So I went out to check on him, and he was at the mower crying. He had broken the mower. Um, it, he had pulled the, uh, the uh, uh, thing out of the, the rope out of the mower, and it, it, I couldn't fix it. And I was like, oh, goodness. So I had to go to my neighbor, embarrassed, and was like, hey, can I use your mower? My son broke mine. And he was like, sure. And so he takes me back to this shed, and he, he opens up it. He opens up the shed, and there's like a light shining on this brand new, beautiful mower. Now, I'm not really a machine guy, but just something about a guy, maybe watching too, too much Tim the Toolman Taylor, when I saw this mower, I was like, ha, 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 ha. The adrenaline, I was like, yes, I want to use that mower. This is, that's the mower that I want to use. And so he let me use it. And as I began to mow, I realized that it actually didn't work very well. It looked beautiful, but it didn't work as well as my other one. Instead, I felt like I was just pressing on it harder than I had to press on mine. And I was getting to the point, I was really angry. I was not walking in the Spirit or with the Spirit or by the Spirit at this point. Uh, and so I'm working off my purgatory, uh, sweating buckets, and I'm almost through. I got maybe uh, a third left. And I look down and I notice something on the mower that I have never noticed before. It was a lever. My cheap little Walmart mower didn't have a lever. 
I'm like, I wonder what that lever does. So all of a sudden, I reached down, and I pulled the lever. And you guessed it. <laughs> it began to propel. I was, ang- I was embarrassed, um, but also I just realized how much that's like my life. That there's a part of me that, man, I know that holiness leads to happiness. I know that righteousness leads to joy. I know that I don't want to be dominated by those things that hurt me, that hurt my family, that hurt those around me. And I'm trying, but I'm trying in my own strength. And I'm exhausted. When all the time God has given us a lever that we're not doing it by ourselves and we're not just doing it in the old school, but he's given us a lever that by his power we can overcome those things. And guess what? The power of him that's in us is greater than the power of he that's in the world. The power of God's spirit is greater than any sin that has dominated our life in the past. So look at what Paul says next. Continue to walk by the power of the spirit and you will not ever, 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 ever fulfill the desires of your sinful nature. Some of you are giving me the uh, awkward look. Why, why do you say ever, 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 ever? Well, in the original language, this is the strongest way to negate something, to make it a negative. And so it'd be similar to us saying, uh, you will not ever, um, or nunca, uh, niemals, or Taylor Swift, we are never, ever, ever getting back together. Um, it, it's just this strong, strong negation. And so Paul comes and says, hey, as long as you're walking with and in and by the power of the Spirit using that lever, then you're not going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. Not going to do it. I love Martin Luther. When I was in college, I read a quote by him that said, before I understood the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whenever sin would knock on the door, I would answer it. But now that I understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Whenever sin knocks on the door, I'll let Christ answer the door. I'll let Christ get it. Now that the Spirit of God is with us and by His power, whenever those sexual desires knock on your door, you don't have to answer it anymore. Whenever that anger continues to call out, you don't have to get it. That selfish ambition, that vanity, that selfishness, that fear, that anxiety. God has given you his spirit so that you don't have to answer the door anymore. Now Paul realizes that this is not Pollyanna pie in the sky. It's easier said than done. So look at what he says. He gives us a dose of reality after it's over with. It's not hakuna matata. Um, This is a battle. And so he goes on to say that for sure, definitely, The spirit desires that which is different than the flesh, and the flesh desires that which is different than the spirit. These two are opposed to one another so that you do not do whatever you want to do. Again, some of your English versions are going to translate uh, flesh as sinful uh, nature. Um, I don't like that translation so much because I don't think flesh is kind of this static, uh, lifeless thing, uh, like a sinful nature, but I think flesh is actually this power that is coming and looking at our lives. Um, similar to what we see in uh, Genesis chapter 4, where uh, sin is sitting outside waiting to reach out and grab you. Um, it's this flesh that's, a, uh, that's hostile to us, uh, that is coming after us, that's using the trauma in our past. It's using how other people have abused us in the past. It's using our uh, predispositions to to come and attack us. And so Paul is a realist. He understands that the flesh goes against the spirit and the spirit goes against the flesh so that they're opposed to one another. An early church father named Polycarp, sounds like a bad fish, but is actually a good church father. He retranslated this and said that the spirit goes against the flesh and the flesh goes against the spirit. 
so that they are at war with one another. And that's our reality, right? We know that war. We know that struggle. Maybe Polycarp is borrowing from Peter, or from Peter who comes and says, As aliens and strangers abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your soul. We can relate to that. There's a war that's going on. It uses every, marshals every weapon it can to destroy us, to steal our lives, to break our families. And we know that, oh, that pain, that anguish that comes. But notice the ramification of it. Notice the result of it. They're at war with one another so that you do not do whatever you want to do. Now, this is often interpreted wrongly in two ways. Some are going to translate this as, or interpret it as, so that you do not do the good things that you want to do. The flesh goes against spirit, and the spirit goes against the flesh, so that you want to do good, but you can't. It's wrong interpretation. I'll come back to that. The other one is that you end up being in loggerheads. Um, it's a stalemate. The flesh and the spirit go side by side, and so you're powerless. You just don't do anything. Neither of those are the interpretation that Paul comes Instead, when Paul, that Paul is bringing, instead, when Paul says, you do not do whatever you want to do, he's saying that you do not do whatever your flesh wants you to do. See, the context of this is uh, chapter 5, verse 13. It's kind of the rubric. It's the thesis statement. If you guys remember that from writing research papers, you were called to freedom, but do not use the freedom that you have to indulge the flesh. This is what Paul is talking about at the beginning. You have freedom, but don't use your freedom to do whatever you want to do. Elsewhere, he's going to put it like this. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Shall we continue just indulging our flesh since we have freedom? And Paul says, heck to the null, to the null, to the null, null, null. That's how we say it in the deep south. No, you died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Don't you know that anyone who was crucified, who was baptized with Christ, was baptized into his death so that when Christ was raised, we too was raised to walk in the newness of life. Paul's going to tell us in Romans chapter 8 that now that we walk by the Spirit, we are no longer obligated to fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. In Titus, he tells us that God's grace and Spirit came to teach us to say, no, 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 nope to sin. And ah, yeah, to righteousness and self-control. The, the context of this is that when the flesh and the Spirit go in battle with one another, once we let the Spirit in, the Spirit wins. Once we let the Spirit get the door, sin hits the road, Jack, and it don't come back no more, no more, no, no more, no more. Once we let the Spirit of God into our life, the Spirit of God does to sin what the Nuggets did to LeBron James. <laughs> Send him packing. Cry, baby, all the way back to Cali. Greater is the Spirit of God in our life than the, he's a, he's a, he's a uh, Lakers fan. We, we love you in, in Jesus, uh, but we hate LeBron. Um, the Spirit of God is greater than the flesh and the sinful desires in our past. And Paul says we don't do what we want to do because we have the Spirit of God within us. And Paul's going to go on and list the things that we want to do, the works of the flesh in the next verse. But in contrast, now by the Spirit, we walk in the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what marks us. Then he says we're led by the Spirit. We're no longer underneath the legalism or the lust and all the things of the law. We have that freedom. I, a few weeks ago, I took 
a group of our men out hiking. And we went to Cheeseman Canyon, but before I took them there, I wanted to hike it and make sure that it was okay. And the first time that I went to map it out and scout it, uh, I was coming back from the hike and I looked and there was an open area and I saw a hiker and she had three dogs. And it got to, got to the open area and she let them off their leash. And the first two dogs, golden retrievers, just take off. You could just see the joy, the life in their face. It was like, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And they began to just go and frolic in the meadow and jump around and bark, just having so much fun. But the third dog that she let loose just began to run in circles, round and around and around and around. I thought it was really funny. And so I went to her and I was like, hey, um, I, I just happened to notice that your other two dogs are acting like normal dogs. What's wrong with this dog? You know, why is this dog just running in circles? like running around and around. And then she looked at me and she says, well, this dog is a rescue dog and I just rescued it. And for all of its life, it's lived in a cage about this big. Has never been out of that cage. And so whenever it gets excited still, even though it's been set free, it just runs around in circles. Now I hike a lot, but I don't cry a lot on hikes. But all of a sudden, my heart just broke. Not just for that dog, but for my own life. For many people that I know, that Christ came not just to forgive us of the things of our past, but to set us free. But for many of us, even though we're out of the cage, we're running around in the same circles that we did before. The same anger, the same frustration, and the same anxieties, and the same addictions. But you know what's better than the gospel? Yeah, me neither. The gospel is that we can run free and have life to the fullest. How do we do that? Well, I left out something. This is what happens when you don't preach without notes. Going back to that verb, Paul doesn't say, Anthony, you, singular, walk by the power of the Spirit. He doesn't say, Andrew, you all by yourself walk, live in the Spirit. But instead, it's that great southern word, y'all walk by the power of the Spirit. You see, walking by the Spirit, being set free from those sins that used to bind you, being liberated from the things that send you in circle is not a solo trip. It's not a marathon run. Instead, it is a group effort. It is a corporate endeavor. We cannot overcome those sins, those passions, those fleshly things that, had bind, bind it, bind it, that binded us by ourselves. We need each other. One thing that we see in Galatians, if you read through it, when you guys get to that point to read through it, is that there are three provisions that God has given us to set us free from that fleshly passions and bondage. The gift of Jesus Christ, the power of his Holy Spirit, and another one that sometimes we neglect as American Christians, the body of Christ, the church, the community. Later on, Paul's going to say that those who belong to Christ have crucified their flesh and its sinful desires, its passions and desires. But guess what? You can't crucify your flesh by yourself. Think about the metaphor. Even if you did have the volition and the power to nail one hand up on the cross, how are you going to nail the other one without help? And for many of us, this is our problem. We don't continue to walk. We just maybe take a step. Or we, maybe we take steps up to the cross. Or we try to crucify ourselves and get rid of that all by ourselves. But this is a community. And we need each other. 
to help us crucify those things that once destroyed us, that are killing our marriages and our families and our communities, the rot um, that is infiltrating our lives. In the Greco-Roman world, we see this even with Jesus uh, when he was crucified. They would station someone at the bottom of the cross. And this soldier had one job and one job only, to make sure that whoever was on that cross didn't come down until they were dead. Let me ask you, whom do you have stationed at the bottom of your cross? Whom do you have there that says, I love you enough that you're not coming down until that selfishness is destroyed, that narcissism is gone? You're not coming down until that anger is eliminated. You're not coming down until that addiction is gone. Who do we have in the body of Christ? Who do you have in the body of Christ that you've stationed at the bottom of that? How do we walk in this, this spirit? It's not just one-on-one, you by yourself doing your quiet time. Again, that's good. But when Paul talks about being filled with the spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, it's with community. How are we filled with the spirit? How do we walk with the spirit? We sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We worship together. We have gratitude in our heart, joy that comes from thanking God for the gifts that he's given us. We have scripture. We submit to one another. We do it together. Walking by the Spirit comes with community, confession, counseling, hope, and love. For many of us, the reason that we're still running around in circles is that we've been running around in circles by ourselves, not walking by the power of the Spirit that God has given us in the community. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. As we finish it up this morning, I just want you to ask the Lord, what is in this message does he have for you? What is it that has your name on it? What is it that he's just going and putting on your heart? For some of you, maybe it's that idea of just continuing. You've taken a step and you've stopped. Maybe you used to walk by the Spirit, but for some reason, exhaustion or life happening, you haven't been walking. And God's just encouraging you, hey, keep walking. It's so important. For some of you, maybe that idea, you've just been waiting for freedom to happen to you. And God's saying, no, no, I've invited you to walk with me. There's a choice that you have. Choose to walk with me. Some, maybe you're like, what are my options? And God's like, no, there's, there's no other options for you to have the life and the love and the peace and the joy that I've offered you. You must walk by the Spirit. For some, maybe it's that idea of being in the Spirit and you've kind of gone back to that old neighborhood and the old past. And God's like, that was your past now live in your present. No longer flesh, flesh, sin, sin, death, death, but life, life, liberty, liberty, freedom, freedom, love, love, joy, joy. For some, you've just been trying to do it all by yourself, and God's like, no, you don't have to do it by yourself. My spirit is with you. You don't have to do it in your own strength. I've given you a lever. It's by the power of the spirit. And for some, lately, the flesh has just been destroying you because you thought that's just what it was meant to be. You didn't understand that this was an aspect of the gospel, that God's given you the spirit where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom and there's life from those things. For some, you've been answering the door, those same sins, those same passions, those same things have been knocking at your door. And God's saying, hey, why don't you let me get it for a while? And then finally this morning, there's some of you that have just been running around in circles. And God just wants you to know that he sees you and his heart breaks for you. And he knows that for some of you, as you run around in circles, it's because of things that has been done to you in the past. The bondage that you are in is trauma that 
people that you love the most caused you? It's a result of being betrayed. It's a result of the enemy just pooping all over your life. He just wants you to know that he sees your pain and he's came and he's going to continue to work with you through his body and through the people that love you here until you can run free. Father, we thank you for your spirit and we just pray that it would just be palpable in this place. We'll let it be in us and among us and around us. God, that we live the fruit of the spirit and that new Denver is marked by love and joy and self-control and all these things. Lord, help us to be with one another, to encourage one another, to get out of those cages and to run like you've called us to run. It's by the name of your Son and the power of your Spirit that we pray.